Hello and welcome to the Battle Cry podcast with Mark Mecklen. Catch the original live broadcast Sunday nights at 8pm Eastern. Go to conventionofstates.com slash pod to learn more. And now, here's the Battle Cry with Mark Mecklen. Good evening, everyone. It's Sunday evening, and that means that it's the Battle Cry. And if it's the Battle Cry, then I must be Mark Meckler. I'm excited to be with you guys. I love being here on Sunday nights with you because that's what we do on Sunday nights, right? We hang out together. We do grassroots stuff. We talk about the latest news, uh, and then we do stuff about it. And I think that's really important. Sort of the call to action tonight is whatever it is, whatever happens, whatever it is that's frustrating you, whatever it is in politics or in your family or in society, whatever it is, do something. Literally do something about it. There's always something that you can do. You know, you can only control three things in your life, really. You can control who you trust, what you do, and what your attitude is about what happens. So what you do is pivotally important. If that's one of the three things you can control, I'm just telling you, it's not on somebody else. It's it's not on the politicians. It's not on your pastor, it's not on the youth group leader, whoever it is, whatever it is, it's on you. And if that sounds like it's a big burden, well, living a life where you have free will, living in a country where you have liberty, that comes with burdens and obligations. And and part of that burden and obligation is to do something when stuff happens. And so we're going to talk a little bit about that tonight. We're going to talk about all evening, unfortunately, something I really don't want to talk about. And when I say really don't want to talk about it, it's not just because it's a tragedy. We're talking, of course, about the shooting in Uvalde, Texas. Of course, I don't like to talk about tragedy, but I don't shy away from that. Why I don't want to talk about it generally is I just think we talk about this stuff too much. And when we talk about it, what tends to happen is I think that it goes in the media, it gets spread around, and you get copycats. And I think we get more and more of these, the more and more of there are, and the more and more the media reports it. And I'm not sure why a shooting in Uvalde, Texas, which is a place I've heard of because I live here in Texas, but probably most of you have never heard of. I'm not sure why a shooting, no matter how heinous in Uvalde, Texas, is news in Manhattan or Kansas City or Los Angeles, California. It really has nothing to do with the lives of the people in those places There's nothing that you're going to do probably to comfort the people who are there, the parents, uh, the grieving friends and families. You're not going to bring those kids back. Why these things and every one of these things has to become a national news story, I don't know. And I don't think it's healthy. I think it's a bad obsession for the nation. I think it's, uh, like I said, we can't necessarily do anything about it in a community far away. I think it's great. We can pray and we should pray for the victims and their families and friends and everybody in that community of Uvalde, small town. So it's going to have a permanent impact, a long-lasting impact on that town. But why it's broadcast all over the United States and all across the world, I don't know, and it really bothers me. But when I say we can do something about it, I mean in your own community. And let me start with this. We have a history in the United States. I'm not talking about a history of shootings. I'm talking about a history of DIY, do-it-yourself. Probably a lot of you watch these DIY channels uh, how to fix your own house, how to fix your own garden, all that stuff. Those are so popular because culturally we're a DIY nation. We're the kind of people that we don't always hire somebody to fix it. And we certainly don't always rely or we haven't always relied on government to fix our problems. We fixed our problems ourselves. Going all the way back to the early days of the country, pre-country, the colonial days, we came here to a place that was far, far away from home from, from all of these people who came from overseas 
and we figured out how to do it ourselves. There weren't consultants. There weren't people who came and built the houses for us. And then we moved into them. People came and carved a life out of the wilderness. And we had a long history of doing this as a country. As we moved from east to west and we carved homes and farms and ranches out of the wilderness, as we laid tracks across the wilderness, as we built a bi-coastal country, it's a do-it-yourself country. And so that tradition runs deep in the United States of America. And I think when you deal with situations like we saw in Uvalde or frankly, anything in your local community, there are do-it-yourself responses. I have questions about how come we now are learning that the kid that did this was disturbed pretty much his whole life, picked on, abused for his stutter, for his lisp, to the point where he no longer went to school. He was violent with his mom and his grandmother. He was driving around town shooting BB guns at people. He was carrying boxing gloves in the park and you know threatening people and trying to get in fights with people. Where's the community? Where is the sense of the community that rallies around a kid like this or rallies around a family like this? See, when we lived in small agrarian communities, that's what we used to do. You can still see some religious communities where that's what people do. Small towns sometimes where that's what people do. Look at the Orthodox Jewish community. If a kid starts to go bad in that community, everybody knows. You know early. Parents are communicating with other parents about it and, and taking action and hopefully rallying around the kid and giving the kid whatever support they need before they snap, before they do something like this. So I would say one of the things we can do is when you see something like this taking place in your community and let your kids know the same, that we need to do something. Because the way to fix this is not gun control. The way to fix this is to intervene in the lives of these people before it comes to this. The profile is almost always the same. It's a young man, usually picked on, abused, ostracized, and outcast, usually somebody who plays violent video games, allowing them to play out their fantasies. And again, I don't have a problem with violent video games per se, but now you have a kid vulnerable and he's playing out his violent fantasies against the people who torment him. And then he starts to live in a world where that seems like a good idea. That's called mental illness. And we ought to be reaching out and treating and helping people who are mentally ill. People are struggling like this. Obviously, it sounds like his mom had a drug problem. We've got a drug problem in America. We have open borders that the drugs are flowing across. What are we doing about that as a country? And unfortunately, right now, we have a completely open border. What are you doing about that? I'm not saying you should go down to the border and seal the border, but I'm saying you should be putting the appropriate pressure on political officials to fix that problem. What are we doing about in our cities where we're actually promoting quote unquote bail reform? We're putting violent criminals back on the streets. We need to do something about these things. And it's going to take you and me putting the pressure on people, on elected officials to do something about that. You might have to run for office yourself. There are things that you can do. Some of them things from the heart, work in your church, work with kids from broken families, take them in, be a mentor, help kids not take this path. And if you see something, for God's sake, do something. We've got to do something. And one of the things that drives me crazy about this is people jump to a hot take. Right? So in other words, there's a shooting, it's the situation's not even over, and people are giving their hot take. And their hot take is usually, oh, we got to do away with the guns. And this is usually said by people that know nothing about firearms, have no idea what happened in the situation. 
but they feel like they have to have a hot take. It's got to be right now. It's got to be immediate. I'm going to tell you that I try to resist that. I got asked to do media immediately after this thing, and I resisted, and I said no. And our PR team said, oh, well, Mark, people are asking. And I said, no. And I said, no, because I don't know the situation. I hadn't had enough time to see what actually happened, to hear the reports from those who are on the ground, to hear from neighbors and parents, to hear from the sheriff, to hear from the mayor, to hear from the governor, to understand the situation. How can you logically comment on something when you have absolutely no idea what happened? And the answer is you can't. And that's why so often people's hot takes are garbage. So we, one of the things we can do, you and me, is resist the urge for the hot take in a tragic situation. Do what I think we should do, which is we say, I know people give us grief for this, but I'm going to pray for the victims. I'm going to pray for the families. I'm going to pray for that community. I know for sure, no matter what the situation is, that's the right thing to do. So I'm going to lead with that but I'm going to go slow. I'm going to wait until I have a better understanding of what happened before I comment on that stuff. Yeah. And then you have politicians that are always going to take advantage of this stuff. Politicians using profane language, acting like the worst among us, not the best among us. You have politicians like Beto O'Rourke, a real garbage heap of a human being, a narcissist, self-absorbed, who goes to a press conference whose purpose, the purpose of the press conference with the governor, Senator Ted Cruz, the mayor, the sheriff, the purpose of that press conference with families present is to inform people to the best of those officials' abilities what happened. Not their opinion on what happened, not their opinion on what can or should or couldn't be done, but the facts about what happened, facts that are owed to that community, to those parents. And you have Beto O'Rourke, who clearly stages his little intervention, who has people sit up front for him and wait until the press conference starts, and then they leave, and he rushes to the front and sits down and waits for his moment to stand up and say his rehearsed lines. And what he's doing is he's a political parasite, and he's a parasite on the pain and the suffering of parents. He's a parasite on the bodies of children. He's a parasite on that community. He's not part of that community. He's not in that community. He doesn't represent anybody in that community. He's not even an elected official. This is a multi-time failed uh, candidate. Ran for president, ended up eating dirt in New Mexico. If you haven't seen the video on that, I'm, I'm not kidding. He, he's a lunatic. And he goes to this press conference for these families, for these kids, for that community, and makes it all about Beto O'Rourke. And I think that's vile and disgusting. And I think we should call it out for what it is. And I think a lot of people have. And I think, unfortunately, the political left loved the stunt of it. We shouldn't do those kinds of stunts. People on the right generally don't do those kinds of stunts. And if you see it, you should call it out, no matter what side it's on, because it's vile and it's disgusting. Now, the left's immediate response, of course, is that guns are the problem. Right, that guns kill people. In the right, you hear people say guns don't kill people, people kill people. So are guns really the problem? Is that really the problem here? They say that we need universal background checks. Well, if you waited for the facts, like I did, what you found out was this young person passed background checks to buy his weapons, right? So a universal background check isn't going to address the problem. We still, I still haven't heard exactly what weapons 
were fired that did all the killing. I've heard that he had ARs on him. I've heard that he had a handgun on him. And so they're saying banning ARs would have prevented this. Well, he had a handgun. He certainly had potential access to a handgun. And I got to say, by the way, you're not allowed to carry a handgun. You're not allowed to buy a handgun in Texas unless you're 21 years old. So if you had a handgun, obviously he wasn't following the law anyway. So new laws, how's that going to help? But criminals, mass shooters, they're not interested in following the law. They're going to get weapons one way or another. They're going to have a handgun, even if it's not legal for them to have a handgun. The guns are not the problem. We have deeper societal problems, and we have to address those problems if we want those problems to go away. So what are the real problems? You know, I think it's complex. I think it's nuanced. I think it's difficult. And I don't think that there are easy or simple answers. I think one of the answers, and I think this is important, is to deal with families without fathers. And I apologize, we've got Levi barking in the background here. So he sees it the same as I do. We have societal problems. We have deep societal problems. If you look at the profile of this shooter, as I said, no father in the home, drugs in the home. He clearly has mental issues. He's been cutting his own face for the fun of it. He drives around town shooting a BB gun at innocent strangers. He's known for being violent and being aggressive. Nobody did anything. That's a problem in a society that's disconnected. And I want to point out what I think is probably the root problem, a lack of fathers in the home. Over the decades, we see more and more families without fathers, and we treat that as a society as if that's okay. As if a family without a mother and a father is equal to a family with a mother only. Mother-only families, look, I, I have lots of friends. I know lots of people that have raised good kids as single mothers and single fathers. They've done an incredible job against terrible odds. But the numbers tell us a story that's very important to acknowledge, and that is that kids who are raised without male figures in their lives, influential male figures in their lives, are much more likely to be involved in violent crime, to commit suicide, to use drugs. All of these bad things that we want to prevent can be prevented by homes with fathers, by communities with strong male influence. But we're losing that in our society because we're not willing to focus on it, because we don't want anybody to feel bad, apparently. But we're encouraging the wrong behavior, and it's behavior that leads ultimately to lives of destruction. Again, this kid carrying the same profile of so many we've seen Looks like he had a history of acting out violently, no dad in the home, a mom using drugs, bad stuff, really bad stuff. And we have to be willing as a society to speak out against it. So is that something you can do? I think it is. Learn those statistics. That's something you can do. When people say guns are bad, we say homes without fathers are bad. We say not emphasizing traditional values is bad. We say homes and society without God at its center is bad. It's evil. And we have to be able to speak the truth. Now, again, I want to be really clear. I'm not saying every person in this country has to believe in God. I wish that were the case. I think we'd live in a better society, but we don't enforce that on anybody. But I do believe we would live in a better society if more people practiced a faith, believed in God, worshiped in community, supported their community through a church or synagogue or some other organization that was religiously based. So we've 
We're, we don't care about fathers in the home anymore. We don't care about faith in our schools or in our families or in our communities anymore, broadly speaking. These are societal epidemics with foreseeable consequences. So what can you do? You can encourage fathers in the home. You can talk about that to people when people speak foolishly. You can talk about how important it is that I think we ought to have voluntary prayer in our schools. I think we ought to study this kind of stuff in our schools. We ought to study the basis, the Judeo-Christian basis for morality and truth and reality. When we do that, we have a better society. When we do, don't do that, we have a godless society and a fatherless society, we get inevitable results. So that, those, I think, are some of the fundamental problems in our society. And I think we can do something about that. You can encourage the proper kind of behavior in your community, in your churches, in your schools. You can speak out about fatherlessness in our society, about godlessness in our society. And you can kindly and gently encourage people to be involved in a church or a faith of their choice that believes in love at its center. These are things that you can do. And I think if we're going to save our country, and I believe we are going to save our country, it's not going to be up to me alone. It's not going to be up to a, a president electing some messianic figure. It's not going to be up to politicians generally. It's going to be up to regular people like you and me. Each of us, one moment at a time, one hour at a time, touching one life at a time, weaving together the bonds of community, one community at a time. That's the way we're going to fix this country. And I do believe that we can do that. And I am hopeful and I am seeing hopeful signs. So I hope you are too. And I hope you will continue to be engaged. I know you're engaged because you're here watching. Mark Meckler is fighting every day to call the first ever Article 5 Convention of States to drain the swamp once and for all. Join Mark and millions of other Americans by signing the official petition at conventionofstates.com slash pod. And now back to the show. So briefly before we close tonight, I want to talk a little bit about Convention of States and what's going on with Convention of States because there is a lot happening all over the country right now. Last week I was in Cheyenne, Wyoming. Uh, we we're at the Cheyenne Public Library for a COS informational meeting. Great grassroots there. We had a great meeting. Good crowd showed up learned a lot, had a lot of questions and answers that went back and forth. That's my favorite thing to do. One thing I didn't like is I think we got kicked out of the library at nine o'clock. So I would have liked to hung out further with the grassroots. The next day, we had an incredible lunch. It was sponsored by a former gubernatorial candidate uh, from Cheyenne, Sam Geliotis, has become a very good friend of mine. And Sam held a meeting. We had over 80 influencers and legislators there for lunch at the Metropolitan Cafe. And by the way, if you haven't been to the Met and you're in Cheyenne, you should go there. It's a great place. Uh, so we had this big, beautiful banquet room, really great spread of food. And then we talked Convention Estates. And we did mostly Q&A. Sam interviewed me on stage and then mostly Q&A. And one of the things that I heard over and over that I was so encouraged by is people came up to me and said some version of this. You know, wasn't in support of this before. And the reason I wasn't is because well, some people said some stuff to me. <laughs> and after listening to you, it turns out that stuff was not correct. And I think this is what I hear more than anything else. Somebody told me something, right? And that's it. People aren't doing their own homework. People aren't listening to experts. It's just some friend said, oh my God, runaway convention. And the person thought, well, that sounds bad. So I guess I'm opposed to this. So I had a whole bunch of people come up afterwards and saying, hey, after hearing all the facts and understanding the reality, the historical reality, 
I'm in support and I wasn't in support before. So I'll be going back. I think we're going to do an event in Casper probably sometime in August, maybe uh, mid-August. And we'll be back to Cheyenne. We'll be traveling all over the state because Wyoming is an important state to us. And they should be part of the Convention of States Coalition already, even though they're not. We're going to get them there. Uh, so that's that was Wyoming. Then I was in Ohio. I've been in Ohio twice in the last two weeks. Uh, two Senate hearings in Ohio. Both of them went really well two weeks ago. It was sponsor testimony. And then a couple of us testified in favor. This last week was opponent testimony. And I got to tell you, it's painful and hilarious. See, Levi likes that too. It's like watching a clown show with these folks. They repeat the same stuff over and over again. Uh, I'll give you some examples. Like they claim that we're funded by the radical left and George Soros, even though every leftist group in America signed a press release saying they're against this. You can find that press release, by the way, in the list on our website. Go to conventionofstates.com. Go to the resources tab. You can search 230 orgs, 230 orgs, and you'll you'll find the story all about that and, and a link to the press release. It's actually now over 250 leftist, leftist orgs, Planned Parenthood, La Raza, MoveOn.org. Uh, you got Hillary Clinton, Howard Dean. All these people are against what Convention of States is all about. Planned Parenthood is against Convention of States. So, you know, if you if you listen to the opponents, they say things that are just ignorant. And they don't know the truth. Or, and this is really important for a lot of them, they've been told the truth and they just refuse to accept it. David Horowitz has a great article that's on the Convention of State site. You can look up David Horowitz. And he talks about how the arguments against Convention of States are simply leftist propaganda. If you don't know who David Horowitz is, he is the number one documentarian of the American left. And he said that the arguments against Convention of States are just leftist propaganda. And he traces the history of that propaganda. You can, again, find that on our website by searching David Horowitz at conventionofstates.com. And so you get these folks that come up there, they pretend that they're conservatives, uh, for example, the John Birch Society, and then they say things that are just untrue. They say that the 1787 convention was a runaway. It's completely untrue. It's been totally debunked. There's a roughly 85-page law review article in the Harvard uh, Journal of Law and Business written by Michael Ferris. You can look it up. The convention was not a runaway convention. That's a slander on the founders. They slander me. By the way, I got called to the most amazing things. I got called a vampire. I got told that Article 5 is Mark Meckler's Article 5 scheme. So at that point, I was caught. You know, I had to confess that I was there at convention September 15, 1787, sitting next to Colonel George Mason, holding his hand, whispering in his ear, and giving him the idea for allowing the states to use Article 5. Of course, I'm being facetious, but literally they called it the Mark Meckler Article 5 scheme. And so it's just outrageous, outrageous slanders against you, the grassroots. Somehow you're all stupid. Mark Levin is stupid. Glenn Beck, stupid. Sean Hannity, stupid. Ben Shapiro, stupid. All our supporters, 5.2 million of you, all stupid. So we let them go for three hours because that's what they do best. And they're ignorant and they destroy their own, them, they destroy their own reputations. They destroy themselves and how they speak. I got up, I think I did five to seven minutes at the end, uh, just, you know, push back against some of the crazy slander against you guys. And I think we're going to get the vote out of committee. That committee is in favor of us. And they had to take all that testimony. It's what they do. That's part of the process. And we're hoping still for a vote next week. We'll see whether that happens or not. There's some crazy political developments going on in Ohio right now. 
Ohio's redistricting map just got rejected by their Supreme Court. So that's going to throw the House and the Senate into a little bit of a tizzy. Uh, hopefully we still get a, a vote out of them in the next week or so. That's what we're planning anyway. So that's Ohio. That's uh, Wyoming. And then last but not least, North Carolina is on the move. We've passed the House in North Carolina. We're now moving in the Senate. They're in short session right now. And we have the hard press on for them to pass the Convention of States resolution. Again, House has already passed. Just got to pass the Senate. If you're in North Carolina, make sure that you call your senator. Call. Email them. But call every day literally every day just put an alarm in your phone pick up your phone every day when that alarm goes off call your senator and let them know you want them to pass the convention of states resolution we have a couple recalcitrant senators it's really frustrating because you get leadership saying oh people are telling us they don't want to vote and then we ask all the senators they're like hey we're ready to go who's telling the truth you never know they're politicians right and so i think we can get it done i think we have the votes but it's going to take pressure from you to get it done. So that's what's going on in the Convention of States world. You did hear Levi barking in the background. I apologize for that. He doesn't usually do that. Are you back there? Like that's what he usually does. He just sleeps back there. I would introduce you to Winston. Winston is the new puppy. I think he's like 28 pounds now, 12 weeks. He's a little beast, but he's a terrorist. If I had him in here, he'd be barking. He'd be chewing on cords. We'd probably go off the air. Um, so anyway, that's the puppy update. And then I've got some Q&A for you real quick before we close out. This is from Producer G. By the way, if you want to do a video question, go to conventionofstates.com forward slash battlecry, conventionofstates.com forward slash battlecry, and you can record a 20-second or so video, and we'll have a video of you asking a question. Uh, and it, Or you can just send questions to battlecry at cosaction.com. That's battlecry at cosaction.com. So I'm going to start with Mike Emerson. Uh, Mike says, what happened to civic duty where you serve a term? return home to work since when did politics become a career this is something that the founders thought was going to be potentially a problem i mean i think it was franklin who said if you combine fame and fortune like where the politicians are well known and then they get paid that's going to be a toxic brew and that's where we're at but i really don't think they expected it look going to washington dc wasn't considered a great place to go originally right they didn't people didn't want to be away from their family months on end i think part of the problem frankly has become this flying back and forth and the ability to just go back and forth really easily because people don't have to be away from home for a long period of time and so that makes it pretty easy to stay in washington dc for years and then decades on end they set up homes in both places uh it's toxic so i agree with you i think a lot of these folks they're not there, especially the ones that have been a long time. They're not fulfilling a civic duty any longer. They like it. It's a career. They make a lot of money. Amazing how wealthy they get, isn't it? Randall Payne said, do you see food riots breaking out? What do you think we're going to see in August or September? I don't know about food riots, but I would suggest that you stock up. I mean, my family and I, we keep a supply on hand. Uh, we're ready in case it happens. We know that there are uh, potential wheat shortages coming. Uh, we've got Ukraine taken out of production. We know that our corn production, well, a large portion of it goes to ethanol. So it can't be used for feeding crops. I mean, for feeding livestock or feeding people. It's unfortunate we shouldn't have ethanol here in the United States. That's a big scam in my opinion. So we could have food shortages. So I would just say the thing to do is for you and your family, it's part of the what can we do theme, stock up, be prepared. We are, and if we don't need it, that's fine. If we need it, we're prepared. Uh, Ruth 
Kerfossi says, do you believe God is going to let this stuff go on forever? You know, Ruth, no, not forever. Because if you're a believer, you know the end of the story, right? But that's uh, forever. In, in God's terms, we don't know how long that is, right? I think he's going to intervene soon. But what does soon mean to God? Is it now? Or is it like the Israelites, 400 years under Babylonian rule, right? It's hard to say. We don't know what God's timing is. But I do know one thing. Our job is to fight the fight, whether God's going to fix it tomorrow or God fixes it a month from now or 100 years from now. Our job is to put on the full armor of God and fight the fight. That's what we do. That's why I do what I do every day. That's why you're here with us. So I appreciate it. Uh, Richard Little says, very helpful points on last week's battle cry concerning narrative and framing the argument. Been feeling like I've been hitting my head against walls with a lot of people. If you didn't see that, go back, watch last week's episode. I talk about how to talk about the tough stuff because there are narratives that work and then mostly narratives that don't work. So use the narratives that work. Go to last week's battle cry and you can review that. Mark in Hawaii says, can we use the left's absolute fury over the Supreme Court's draft Roe versus Wade opinion and do a convincing argument for devolving government control back down to the states? My answer is yes. Yes and absolutely yes. Look, the reason that Roe versus Wade is so controversial is it takes place on a couple different levels. Number one, for me, morally, abortion is murder. I mean, I think that's pretty obvious. It's the worst kind of murder. It's murder of an absolutely innocent life that cannot defend itself. That is the worst kind of murder. And so it's morally repugnant. But number two, it's not dealt with in the Constitution, right? There's no such thing as a right to privacy, granting a right to an abortion through some penumbral emanation or whatever words they use for that, right? It doesn't exist. And what it did is it took a very controversial social issue away from the societies and the communities that need to fight these things out and decide them for themselves. And in doing that, the Supreme Court thought it was going to solve the issue for all time. And instead, they exacerbated the issue. We've now been fighting about the issue tooth and nail for 50 years. And now the Supreme Court looks like they're about to give it back to the people where it belonged. Now, to be perfectly clear, I'm stridently anti-abortion, and I would like to see abortion illegal in all 50 states. That's my personal position. It's not the position of the majority of the American people, certainly not in the first trimester. And so we have to work that out as a society. I worry about it. I'm concerned about it. I think you and I, if you're a pro-life person like me, should fight to make abortion illegal. But we're going to have to get to where we have a societal consensus about that. And then maybe someday we get what I would call the Life Amendment prohibiting abortion constitutionally in America. I think we're going to get there eventually, but we're not there now. And this is the right step right now, which is to give it back to the states. We're going to do that with almost everything. Certainly things are better decided in the states. It's a healthier system. That is the system of federalism. And that's where this country was founded. It's where it should be today. I think that's how we fix the country. That's what Convention of States is all about. You call a convention, you take the power away from the federal government, you give it back to the people in the states, let us live our lives. So that's my message for you this week. Make sure you do something. Join Convention of States. Go to conventionofstates.com. Click on the Take Action tab after you sign the petition. Volunteer. That's where the rubber hits the road. We're engaged in elections where we can be. We're engaged in get out the vote. We're engaged in pro-life stuff, pro-gun stuff property tax reform, all kinds of stuff. Convention of States is way more than a convention. So go to conventionofstates.com, get involved, and we'll see you next week on The Battle.
This has been the podcast version of the Battle Cry with Convention of States Action President Mark Meckler. Check out more content at conventionofstates.com slash pod and become part of the solution that's as big as the problem. Thank you for listening.